0: Well, thank you so much for the opportunity to be here and to tell you a little bit of uh, my journey, especially uh, through compassion. It's, it's always an honour to be able to talk to, to people and to let them know what's happening around the world. I guess we can, we can tend to be a little insular and we know what's happening in our part of the world, but to, to get to know what's happening around the rest of the world is, is always a great opportunity. So thank you for, for giving me that opportunity to share with you today. I want to start by saying that back in 2008 I experienced one of the best and worst days of my life uh, because I was in Haiti, I was in Port-au-Prince, the capital of Haiti and I was invited to go there when I, back when I was working at 98.5 Sunshine FM working in Christian radio and there were four announcers from different Christian radio stations across Australia and we were invited to go to see Compassion's work. Because there used to be an opportunity every year where we'd have a Compassion Day on the radio and invite people to sponsor children. And so Compassion said, hey, look, we'll we'll take some of your announcers and you'll be able to see what we do and you'll be able to share that really well. And and for me, I didn't know a lot about Compassion, but I thought they seemed like a reasonable organisation and I'm up for a bit of an adventure, this sounds great, I get to fly halfway around the world... And yet God had other ideas that I didn't even know about at that time. But I I went on that trip. And on the morning when we got up, we were going to go and visit a couple of different churches where Compassion was working, because Compassion always works with local churches. And then they were having these meetings off in the corner, and they said, oh, look, we've changed our plans. We're going to visit different churches today than what we were going to visit. And I thought, well, that's okay. I didn't know what they were, you know, where the churches were anyway. I'm in a foreign country. You do what you like. And I forget the actual language that they used. It was something like there's been a bit of unrest or something. What they didn't say was there are people rioting. Um, But they said, we'll we'll go and visit a a different church. And so we went along and we went to visit this this church. And we started interviewing some of the kids through translators. So each of us had our portable recording devices. And we're interviewing kids about what it's like to be part of compassion. And what are they learning? What do they like about it? And they said, hey, look, when the parents come, then you can interview them as well and we can find out from the parents what it's like to to have a child who is sponsored through compassion in their family. And we thought that'd be great. But then the parents kept turning up and just taking their kids and going. And we're wondering, well, what's going on? This isn't how they said it was going to be. And then they told us that what was actually happening is that the parents felt safer to take their children home. They wanted to take the, the kids to, to be where they thought they were safe, and we thought, so this is not safe. And, of course, what was actually happening was this was 2008, so it was the, the time of the, the global financial crisis, and that also meant the time of a global food crisis, where even basic foodstuffs were, were just not available. And they had said, the people had said to the president, look, you need to do something about this because if you don't, we'll write. And he was very dismissive and says, well, let me know if you're going to and I'll come and join you. And so they did. They went to write because at that stage, there were stories of families who were mixing together a little bit of water, a little bit of oil, a little bit of sugar and the dirt around them, making mud pies and feeding that to their families just so that they could have something in their stomachs because they had absolutely nothing that they could feed them. So we made our way back from that church where we were going to be interviewing parents, but we realised that wasn't going to happen. And so we made our way away from there and started heading back uh, towards the hotel and then found people streaming down the main street with fear in their eyes saying, don't go up that way. And so we went into the compassion office and we were there, and just peering out of a, a blind until we realised that that probably wasn't safe. We were quite high up but realised probably wasn't a good place to be. And so we stepped back and closed the blinds and that's when we heard this almighty bang and glass shattered around the room and we dropped to the floor. And it was actually someone had thrown a rock through the window. They were going through the, the whole area just looting and finding what they could so that they could hopefully feed their families um, we realised then that it wasn't safe and we stayed in there not knowing whether the, these people were going to take the building we were in or whether they were going to leave us and thankfully they, they left us there and when things calmed down we went back to the hotel but we knew that we had to, to escape the city of Port-au-Prince and so that's what we did. We, we had to leave. In fact, at the time, one news source described it this way and and I'll just ask that you put it. There's a picture there of, of fires and riots in the city and it said... The Haitian capital was paralysed by food riots yesterday as the United Nations gave warning that soaring food prices were spurring unrest around the world. Rioters returned to the streets in Port-au-Prince a day after UN peacekeepers had to fire rubber bullets to prevent hungry Haitians from storming the presidential palace. Columns of smoke rose over the city as demonstrators, demanding that the government take action over the rising price of foodstuffs such as rice Beans and oil set fire to barricades made from tyres. At least five people have been killed and more than 20 injured. Protesters compared the burning hunger in their stomachs to bleach or battery acid. And so our trip to the airport was eventful to say the very least. But we finally were on our way and and at different times there were crowds of people around us and it was hard to really judge the mood of the crowd and, and what was going on for them. Uh, there was one time where there was a guy with an iron bar trying to incite the people around to actually rob us and and to, to storm our vehicles until someone pointed to a sticker on the side of one of the vehicles and said, no, look, stop. They're from Compassion. They help our children let them go. And so on we went and we continued our journey. And then at another point where it seemed that we weren't going to be able to continue on, Um, someone said, I can find your way out, and we we followed this young man, not knowing whether he was just leading us to a group of his friends around the corner who were hungry and were trying to find a way to to, to rob us and, and eat, or whether he was actually going to lead us the way out, but we couldn't stay where we were, and so we kept going, and finally we turned a corner and we saw a crew cab ute with a bunch of people on the back, holding weapons, and thankfully also wearing police vests, and uh, so one of our one of our party moved toward him, very to, to the wards of the police, very slowly, with his arms outstretched, explained the situation, and we got an armed escort to the rest of the airport. And that was the only way that we got out of Port-au-Prince. And as we were finally, after many hours of waiting, as we were finally taking off, I, I looked out the window at the surreal situation around about us. And I could see that there were kids playing soccer in the grass alongside the runway. But further afield, across Port-au-Prince, there were columns of smoke going up with with fires and barricades everywhere as people said, we cannot feed our family, we need to do something. And I guess as the plane took off, there was this sense for me of just, we're safe. And at the same time, realising that there was around 8 million Haitians living in that country that could never afford a ticket out, who could never afford to to have a better life, to, to release themselves from what they were facing there in Haiti on that day. And I guess it was then I decided I needed to speak out even more for the children that Compassion serves. And so that was 2008. I saw the job that I'm now currently doing in 2013 and applied for that and here I am almost eight years later. So that's just a little bit of of my story of actually coming to compassion. Uh, for those of us that are old enough here that remember the old Victor Kiam ad uh, selling Remington shavers where he used to say, I was so impressed I bought the company. For me, I was so impressed I thought I'd need to join that organisation. And, and that's what I've done, to speak out on behalf of children who, who don't have a voice. What I want to do today is talk through a portion of scripture that I think actually speaks to us reaching out for people who have no voice, reaching out for people who who need someone to come alongside and say, I'm going to be that person. I'm going to be the one who actually makes a difference for you. And it's it's actually the parable of the Good Samaritan. And I know as soon as I say that, that there's many of you that think, oh, good, I get to switch off because I've heard this many times before. I know this story. I'm all set. I can think of what I'm going to do for the afternoon. Can I invite you to stick with me for a little while? Let's see if there's something deeper in there in this. Because at the end of the parable that Jesus tells, he says, you go and do likewise. What is the go and do likewise for us? Because it's something that will impact us right here for our neighbours next door and our neighbours around the world. How will we go and do likewise? Let's jump in. And I'm reading from Luke uh, chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. And we'll see the, the passage on the, the screen as we go. But it starts out and behold a a lawyer stood up to put him to the test saying teacher what shall I do to inherit eternal life and it's interesting I'll just note at this point that this this lawyer isn't someone who tries cases in court as we know a lawyer today he's actually a a lawyer in the sense of he knows the religious law he's an expert in the law of Moses the the Torah he's a religious figure and he's asking what do I need to do to inherit eternal life so he's actually seeking a, a legal answer to what is essentially a spiritual problem. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? He wants the legal answer to a spiritual problem. And he said to him, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbour as yourself. And he said to him, you've answered correctly. Do this and you'll live to verse 29 but he desiring to justify himself said to jesus and who is my neighbor interesting here to see that this this expert in the law is trying to to justify himself he doesn't really want to get jesus take on this eternal life or to really know he, he's actually trying to justify himself in the eyes of jesus he, he's wondering how small would he have to spread this net of neighborhood and, and get away with it what little could he do and still tick the boxes what what must i do what's the minimum that is required for me to have this thing called eternal life and in verse 30 jesus replied a man was going down from jerusalem to jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed leaving him half dead by now uh, now by a chance a priest was going down that road and when he saw him pass by on the other side So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. A Samaritan, a foreigner, someone with different beliefs a person that was hated by the Jews. There was this mutual hate between them. Is he going to be the hero of this story that Jesus is telling? Surely not. And the next day he took out two denarii, and that's about two days' wages. So it's not a massive amount, but it's not insignificant. Two days' wages he hands over. And he gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I'll repay you when I come back. And Jesus then asks... Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbour to the man who fell among the robbers? Ah, you've got me there, Jesus. He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. So there's this parable that Jesus is telling, this story to try and help this lawyer who simply wants to justify himself, who wants to see how thin he has to spread this net of neighbourhood to to understand, you know what? There's a lot more neighbours than you might have come to realise. And we love to read the story and we start to think how awful the priest and the Levite are because they walk past. It's a, uh, the scripture says that they crossed to the other side and kept going. But I wonder what we might do in these sort of circumstances. You see, they were actually standing up for what they believed. The Levite knew that he would become unclean if he touched a dead body. And, and Jesus, as he's telling the story, he says, you know, they beat him up, they leave him there, left him there half dead. It's like Jesus is saying he was motionless, he's there covered in his own waste in blood and they had no idea if he was dead or not. And so the Levite says, better not take a chance, I'll just avoid him. The priest also knew that he would become unclean if he touched someone who was dead. So, you know, it's like, I I, I can't do that. Their behaviour is consistent with what they stand for. This this sense of ritual holiness is a mark of respect for God's law and, and worship. And the man at the side of the road, this victim, well, they they don't know what's lying in wait there, they don't know if he's still alive, so best not to to intervene. We'll we'll just keep going. And I wonder if sometimes we let our own beliefs get in the way of us acting in a Christ-like way. Of course, we're never asked to go against Scripture, but do we sometimes think that appearing godly in the sight of others is more important than appearing godly in the sight of God himself? The Good Samaritan story asks what it means to love your neighbour as you love yourself because loving your neighbour as you love yourself is something that we all want to do but sometimes I just don't think we we grasp the the enormity of it because we use this parable, this Good Samaritan, sort of as a Sunday school lesson sometimes as I'll just be nice to people. You know, if if someone gets a flat tyre on the road, stop and help them and we call that person a Good Samaritan and yet when we see what this Good Samaritan does goes against so many prejudices and and puts his own life at risk and then says oh look i'm going to pay and i'm going to keep paying that's more than that there's something deeper than that he he understands what this loving your neighbor as you love yourself is all about and we see that loving your neighbor as as you love yourself is is a common theme throughout scripture and many would say that it's, it's a distilling of the Ten Commandments. You see Jesus quoting it again when he's questioned earlier in, in Mark, in 12, 30 to 31, it says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbour as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Because in the Ten Commandments, we see that there are commandments about how we interact with God and commandments about how we interact with others. And so these are being distilled. And that's why this, this lawyer would have understood it. He knows that this is the distilling of the Ten Commandments. What does it all boil down to? It boils down to throw everything you have at loving God. Throw absolutely everything you have at, at loving God and, and following his decrees. But then the second is like it. We love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And that can be a difficult thing. Because that love is the love that God pours into us, poured out into others. And when we stop to think, how do we love ourselves? Well, we ensure that we have shelter, we ensure we have food, uh, we ensure we have good relationships and we ensure that we are connected to the God of this world. So these are the things, if we are truly loving our neighbour as we love ourselves, these are the things that we're wanting to ensure for every other person. Whether it's the person next door, the person across the street, it's the person across the other side of this country or across the other side of the world. These are the things that we're wanting for them. To love our neighbour as we love ourselves, wherever there is need, we're wanting to provide them with the basic essentials of life But we're also wanting to ensure that they have good relationships, especially with the Lord God creator, the one who loves them far more than we ever can. So again, it it distills down into this, throw everything you have at loving God and then love your neighbor as you love yourself. There's a whole lot more to it than just helping someone out from time to time and being called a good Samaritan. And then we ask the question, but what if my neighbour is someone I disagree with? What if my neighbour is different to me? What if my neighbour has different thoughts about current issues than me? What if my neighbour is antagonistic towards me? No, no, there's no let-off here. It's love your neighbour as you love yourself. Throw everything you have at loving God, then love your neighbour as you love yourself. And that can be hard because there's so much need, but thankfully God walks that journey with us and, and helps us to do what's needed. And I want to just draw out a few points of... Of what the samaritan does first of all the good samaritan chose to see the need because so often we can walk past need and just ignore it because it seems so overwhelming so the good samaritan chose to see the need he was moved in his soul by the need in front of his eyes when he saw the stranger he took pity on him he he didn't just look away and and we read in matthew 9 36 this is this is what happens with jesus It says, when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. (laughs) This is is at a time when Jesus is trying to get some rest and and he's saying to the disciples, oh, we need to get away for a little while. We've been really busy. We just need some time. But the crowd knew where he was going, so they got there first. (laughs) And so you think Jesus would be thinking, oh, just let me have five minutes. And yet he looked out and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd the good Samaritan answered the cry. He chose to answer the cry. There there was this risk of stepping in but he chose to answer the cry. It wasn't enough simply to see someone in need, he had to take action. It wasn't enough for him to just feel sorry for them, he had to take action. And there's this sense in the way that Jesus tells the story, as I said before, that the priest and Levite, it, it sounds like they're walking along on the same side of the road that the 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 beaten man is and they decide that they're going to cross the road to avoid him and yet the way he talks about the Samaritan it's almost like he he's already on the other side of the road and he chose to go to him the scripture says he went to him he answered the cry he went out of his way to to do that the good Samaritan overcame difference there was a lot of difference there as I mentioned before the, the Jews and Samaritans hated each other so he overcame that difference He overcame the fear that maybe this is just a decoy and that the robbers are still waiting and and as soon as I stoop down to help someone, if I try and help this man who's beaten on the side of the road, they're just going to mob me as well. It's like, well, that doesn't matter because there's a man in need and I need to take action. He overcame that difference. I have wondered myself about... What happens when this Samaritan goes back to his friends and they say, what have you been up to? Well, actually, what I did today, I saw this Jew lying on the side of the road. He was beaten. It's like, what? You helped a Jew? You see, this guy's in danger of being ostracised by his own people because he hung out with someone that he wasn't meant to hang out with. The Jews already hate him and now the rest of the Samaritans are going to hate him because he chose to stoop down and help a Jew. Yet he overcomes it all. And as he tells this parable, Jesus seems to be talking about this kingdom that is open to everyone. It doesn't matter where you're from. This is a kingdom that's open to everyone. And it's not like this is something new either. I wonder when people talk about, well, the Old Testament, there's this God who's stern and he just gives rules and that's what it's about. When Jesus comes, he brings love into the equation. It's like, have you read the Old Testament? You know, From Isaiah one seventeen, learn to do right, seek justice, defend the oppressed, take up the cause of the fatherless, plead the case of the widow. It's all there. God's mercy has been there right from day one. We don't have the option of ignoring the plight of others. We're to take action whenever we see a lack of justice, wherever we see a need. Again, turning to the Old Testament in Zechariah 7, we read, and the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, render true judgment, Show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the fatherless, the sojourner, or the poor. And let none of you devise evil against another in your heart. And it it touches on what scholars have termed the quartet of the vulnerable, widows, orphans, immigrants, and the poor. These are the people that are often different to us and, and often feel excluded from this kingdom of God that's being opened and offered. And yet they're being warmly embraced right throughout Scripture. And we keep forgetting it. And this lawyer, you think, you know, he's an expert in in the Old Testament law, and yet he doesn't get it. He's still trying to tick boxes. He's still trying to just do the right thing. And Jesus is calling him back to the heart of it. Throw everything you have at loving God, then love your neighbour as you love yourself. When Jesus is just beginning his ministry, he's asked to read from the scroll of Isaiah. What does he choose? Does he choose the passages in Isaiah where where it says who he is and, and announces he's coming? No, no. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. He's saying right from the start, right from early times in his ministry, he says, you know what? This is what I'm about. This is what the kingdom looks like. If you're going to follow me, this is what you need to follow. These are the things that we're going to do together. We're going to bring good news for the poor. We're going to set the, the oppressed free. This is the kingdom that we want. Because these are your neighbours and we're going to love them as we love ourselves. He's not asking us to subscribe to just a set of beliefs. He's asking us to be active in bringing the kingdom to earth as it is in heaven, just as we pray in the Lord's Prayer. You know, when we pray the Lord's Prayer, that's what we're saying, God... We want to see your kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. And we are God's hands and feet in making that happen. So how can you be a neighbour to, to, to the neighbours around you, next door and, and those around the world? How do we go and do likewise? Another thing that the Good Samaritan does is the Good Samaritan refuses to give up. He does something very significant. He says, here's a couple of days' wages, but I'm going to keep coming back here. I'm a traveller. And so as I keep coming past this area, you let me know if, if he's incurred any additional expense because I'm going to keep paying that. I, I'm going to be here until the healing is complete. He refused to, to give up. It, you know, in, in a lot of senses, it really wasn't his problem. The guy lying on the side of the road, he could have ignored him just like the priest and the Levite did. Not his problem. He could have gone to him and just poured on the oil and wine and gave him some bandages and said, oh, look, there you go and gone but he didn't he puts him on his animal and he could have just taken him to the inn and says look I've, I've given him first aid and i've brought him to a place where you can help i'll catch you later and he still would have been seen as this great guy yet no he, he gives money he says here's a couple of days wages and then on top of that he says but i will not be satisfied until the healing is complete i'm i'm going the full way with this and sometimes we can we can get tired of doing good can't we Galatians 6 9 says and let us not grow weary of doing good for in due season we'll reap if we do not give up are you already helping the poor are you already loving your neighbor don't give up even when things get tough even when those around you in the community don't seem to respond to what you're doing on their behalf don't give up it's not for them that you're doing it you're loving your neighbor as you love yourself just as you're instructed to do as far as Compassion's concerned, if you're already sponsoring with compassion, don't give up on that either. The kids need you at this time. You see, the story of the Good Samaritan is a great representation of what we do. We choose to see the need. We answer the cry. We overcome the difference. We refuse to give up. We want to make a difference. We do what the Samaritan does. We say, we're not the best placed people to actually continue to care for these children who are living in extreme poverty none of us in this room are those people we are not the best placed people to help children who are in desperate poverty in indonesia or thailand or rwanda or ethiopia or any of the 25 countries where compassion works so what do we do we place them in the care of the local church and we say there you go we're going to keep paying until the healing is complete we're going to see this through if it's been a while since you've heard about compassion or maybe this is the first time i just want to say a few things about Who compassion is first of all we are christ-centered we believe that every child should have the opportunity to hear and respond to the gospel of jesus christ that's absolutely central if we are loving our neighbor but we're not telling them about this opportunity to spend eternity with their creator then we're not loving so first and foremost we are christ-centered we are child focused every child should be known loved and connected in with their local community with their local church And we are church-based. And I love this because I've had opportunity to go to a number of the churches where Compassion is working in field countries, uh, in in Ethiopia, in Rwanda, in Thailand, the Philippines, uh, in Indonesia. I've been to these churches and I don't see signs saying, Compassion. We're not there to lift up the name of Compassion. We are there to lift up the name of Jesus. So what you see is the local church sign. And it says, not just to the children, not just to their families, but to the wider community, these people who follow Jesus... They don't just follow a set of beliefs, they actually act it out. They are loving their neighbour as they love themselves. There's something different about these people. That's an incredible witness that goes out from from the churches that we partner with in in the 25 nations. And currently we're working with over 2 million children through 8,000 churches. That's the way we work. We see that God grows his kingdom through the expression of the local church. He's doing that through you as a body of believers here in Margaret River, and he's doing that in Indonesia and and all the other countries in which we work. And one of the things that churches in the southwest, including Margaret River, are doing... Is, is actually saying, you know what, together as a region, we want to transform a region for the gospel in Indonesia. And so that's what you're doing, sponsoring children in Medan in Indonesia. It gives a common focus for, for local churches to say, you know what, we want to see the kingdom come to these regions. Indonesia is a place where around 40 million people live on less than $1.25 a day, that they are desperately poor and they, they need someone to step in. On top of that, it's a place where they're around 87% Muslim. They need the gospel. They need that transformation. It's a place where we need to to step in and make a difference. I want you to, just before I, I finish up, I want you to see just a little bit of what it looks like in Indonesia at the moment for children that are being helped through Compassion, if we can have that video.
1: Greetings fans, sponsors, donors. Thank you for being the partners of compassion, especially in Indonesia. Praise the Lord, we serve more than 700 church partners. God has trusted us more than 160,000 children and youth together across Indonesia. When we see the children and the youth in Indonesia, through this pandemic. There's a few things that they struggle. One, for sure, they cannot go to the projects. And second is that they have to study from home. A lot of deaf parents, they lost their job or maybe they lost their incomes. So the stress level has become higher in the house and it creates increasing of the uh, child abuse.
2: Related with the COVID, we have three focus areas. First is health we ensuring all the children will be able to get food for them and also their families. Also get trained on how to do COVID protocols, wash hands.
1: We do not want the family become totally dependent on the food packages. So we provide the trainings and also the seeds for that, to supplement that, so that it Provide them the uh, ability to learn to suffice themselves by growing vegetables, other kind of foods in the surrounding of their houses.
2: And the second is relates with the child protections.
1: Our mentor, our tutor, the pastor makes sure that we do a periodic monitoring what happens with the children, with the youth. Pray for them and make sure there's no abnormality in their behavior. We make sure that. We address it immediately. They provide virtual interventions.
2: Indonesia just has Cyclone Seroja hit. So what Compassion Indonesia done in that area is provide a food package, counseling for the children. Also, we plan to build 440 houses for our beneficiaries in the next couple months. We have one story. About one youth. Her name is Chika. She just joined a saving group this year and she has been chosen as the leader of the savings group. With this position, she learned how to become a leader. She's now in a university with savings group. She learned how to manage her money. I believe that God is in charge. One day, when we see what happened this day, we can see how his work is good for us.
1: You as sponsor and donor play a very huge and strategic role in the compassion ministry, especially in Indonesia. From
2: the bottom of my heart, I would like to thank you for all the things that you have done for our children in Indonesia. Thank you.
0: Absolutely blows me away that there they are and the circumstances that they're facing at the moment, they're praying for us. That's that's amazing. You know, a United Nations report was released in July to tell us a little bit about the effects of of COVID on, on those living in developing nations, in, in poorer nations. And they say that between 119 and 124 million people have been forced back into extreme poverty. That's the first time that there's been a, a jump, a, a rise in global poverty in decades. It had been slowly on a trajectory of, of, of lessening over many years and now it's, it's this massive jump. They say that there's, there's the likelihood of of millions of children never having the opportunity to return to school because of what has happened over the last couple of years. So there's a massive need in in countries in which we work. Violence against women and girls has intensified. Child marriage is expected to increase. Uh, There are just so many things that have come out of this this current pandemic that is making life so difficult for the people that we serve. So for those of you who are sponsoring, I just want to say thank you. There's a statement in that article that really hit me. It says, we're at a critical juncture in human history. The decisions and actions we take today will have momentous consequences for future generations. And we let that sink in. The decisions and actions we take today will have momentous consequences for future generations. And so what decisions and actions will we take today as a church, as the body of Christ, as a group of believers that are told by Jesus in this parable of the Good Samaritan to go and do likewise? What decisions and actions does Scripture call us to take on behalf of those living in poverty? We've heard Scriptures all morning of what God calls us to do in in the light of those who are in need. What decisions and actions will we both take corporately and individually as followers of Jesus that will have momentous consequences going forward for the children that we serve? just again touching on that that parable of the good samaritan it's not all about compassion obviously not but when jesus tells us to go and do likewise when we are to throw everything we have at loving god and then to love our neighbors as we love ourselves that has ramifications for us and the people next door the people in this community the people further afield and the people right across the world today i ask you to to join me in releasing children from poverty in jesus name and i want to give you a few ways that you can do that today firstly we've spoken about child sponsorship and the difference that that makes and you've you've probably heard about child sponsorship before if you've got the capacity to be part of that i'd love to talk to you if you're already sponsoring i'd ask you to consider is there room at the table for one more and this is maybe only for a couple of people in the room I don't want you to feel guilty, but I know that sometimes there are people who have the means to sponsor more, multiple children, whether that's two or three or maybe even five and ten. As I say, that, that's, that's not for most of us. The second way you can join me in releasing children from poverty is to talk to me about providing funding for some of the projects that we do. You saw even in that video of 440 homes that suddenly have to be built uh, because of what the cyclone did in, in Indonesia We have a a variety of projects to provide clean water, to provide protection against malaria or many other things. That's another way. And the third is to give some of your time to volunteer, to, to work on behalf of compassion for some of these children. So there are three ways. You can sponsor, you can give a gift, or you can volunteer your time. And I'd love to talk to you about any of those ways in which you can join me in releasing children from poverty In Jesus' name, let's together bring more of the kingdom to the children and the families in Medan, Indonesia. Let's pray. Lord, we do want to thank you that you give us an encouragement to reach out to those who are in need. And we ask that we will take you at your word. Lord, that just as you've said to us, that the greatest commandment is to to throw everything we have at loving you and then flowing out of that to love our neighbor as we love ourselves, help us to do that. By by human nature, we, we naturally seek to, to look inward. And yet you constantly ask us to, to look outside ourselves, first of all, to you. And we ask that you would help us to do that. Help us to grow closer to you. Help us to throw everything we have at loving you. And help us to see the need in our neighbor. And help us to to go and do likewise as the parable has called us to do. In Jesus' name.